Turn with me again to Jonah, this time to chapter 4. And somebody said he does know how to finish a book. <laughs> Amen, I heard that. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, oh, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head, so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, It is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? If you're like me, there have been those occasions <laughs> when you've read a book or watched a movie, and it was pretty good overall. But then the writers just completely ruin it with the ending. <laughs> and you think, why on earth did they do that? Why did it end that way? If I had written it, it would have ended this way. Well, that's sort of how I feel about Jonah. So far, it's been a great story. The first three chapters are encouraging, challenging, inspiring. We saw a man who had served God with his life have a moment of failure and sin. He ran from God. God dramatically got his attention with this storm at sea and with having him swallowed by a fish. He repented. God showed him magnificent mercy. Jonah recognized that salvation didn't belong to him or to Israel. He didn't have the right to choose who heard God's message. He learned in the belly of the fish that salvation belongs to the Lord. And when Jonah learned that lesson, God spared his life. Not only did God spare his life, but he gave Jonah another opportunity to be obedient 
and to preach to Nineveh. He did just that, and God sent this massive revival on a pagan city, the city of Nineveh. The very king of Nineveh repented. Everyone from the greatest to the least heard Jonah's message, believed God, and repented. That's a revival. And through Jonah's preaching and Nineveh's response, God spared the city and everyone in it. He withheld his judgment. What an amazing, true story. If the book ended right there, we would say, wow, look at what God did. And we would be impressed. We would give God glory for it. And we should. And then there's chapter 4. Verse 1 says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. Come on, Jonah. God showed mercy to Nineveh, and it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Literally, it was evil to Jonah, a great evil. Double evil in Jonah's eyes that Nineveh should be spared. He became angry. God's anger had been burning against Nineveh and he was ready to overthrow them. But notice the contrast of how God and Jonah responded to Nineveh's repentance. Nineveh heard God's message and God's fierce anger cooled down. And then Jonah's Fierce anger began to burn. Verse 2 says, So he prayed to the Lord. Now we're commanded to pray about everything, right? Even when we're upset. So I don't have anything against Jonah for praying to God while he's angry. In fact, I commend him for it. But if you talk to God... When you think he's done something wrong and you're mad about it, you're probably going to do the same thing you do with your wife. You're going to say something dumb. <laughs> what Jonah says is really remarkable. Verse 2, so he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, oh, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and a merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Jonah finally, in the last chapter of the book, admits why he ran. I knew this would happen. This is why I ran away. This is ridiculous. We talked briefly about this on, on Wednesday. That attitude of, you know, I, I sinned. You forgave me. Thanks for that. But you know, the more I think about it, I really was justified in doing what I did. <laughs> Don't we have that attitude frequently? And listen to what Jonah says about God. He says, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God. 
slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. He says it like it's a bad thing. Jonah, if God wasn't gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm, you would be dead at the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea in the belly of a fish. But he doesn't care. Because in verse 3 he says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Jonah has orthodoxy without orthopraxy. You know what that means? That is, Jonah knows and believes all the right stuff about God. But his theology doesn't rightly influence the way he thinks and lives his life. He knows it, but he doesn't live it. That's a problem we all have at times, at least, right? Most of the time. If I asked any one of you, you would most likely affirm that God is gracious and merciful and patient and forgiving. Many of you have experienced those traits of God for yourself. You believe the right things about God. But do your beliefs about God show up in the way you live your life and in the way you view the world? Now, this is not the time to say, yep, mm -hmm, I know somebody who needs to hear that. Because that's our tendency. Seriously, think about this for a minute. Examine your own self. Does what you believe show itself in the way you live your life? I've had to look at this all week, so you take a minute. Do you really believe that sinners are under the judgment of God... And that he is gracious and merciful to save those who repent and put their trust in him. Do you believe that? Does that show up in the way you live your life? Do you have any concern for those who will be justly punished for their sins unless they hear that message? Do you really believe that God is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness? Does it show up in the way you live your life? When your, your kids disobey or when your waiter has a terrible attitude or when your contractor doesn't show up, does the patience and loving kindness of God extend to them? Preaching to me too, okay? I'm not trying to throw you guys under the bus. I'm in need of help as much as you are or more. I snapped at Joel just this morning. I'll confess my sin. Does that loving kindness and the grace of God that has so penetrated our sinful hearts manifest itself with our family, 
our coworkers, and total strangers. It is possible to know the right things in your head and not be changed by them in the heart. Jonah had experienced the mercy of God firsthand. We've seen it. He knew the character and the nature of God. But he would have rather given his own life than to be the instrument by which God showed them mercy. He would rather die than to see Nineveh spared and to be known as the prophet that God used to save them. God responds by simply asking Jonah a question. He questions Jonah three times in this chapter, and he asks this question twice, verse 4. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? Is it right? That's a good question to ask ourselves. Is it right for you to be angry? Well, verse 5 says, so Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. God asked his question to Jonah, but he hasn't outrightly corrected him yet. So Jonah puts a little distance between himself and Nineveh, builds something of a, a shelter. He sits and he waits. I guess he thought that maybe his little tirade <laughs> changed God's mind. So he found a perch from which he might have a good view if God did decide to rain down fire on the city. After all he's been through, Jonah wouldn't miss that for the world. So he sits and he waits for day 41. So what does God do? Verse 6, And the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Isn't that like God that even in our sin, in our bad attitude, he still does something kind? That really was kind of God. For all we know, Jonah's hair might have been a little thin on the top. <laughs> the extra shade from the plant would have been nice out there in the desert. But God's doing more than just protecting Jonah from sunburn. He's getting ready to teach another lesson. You would think Jonah's had enough lessons. But Jonah is still in need of a change of heart. Did you notice the last statement in that verse? So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. I think this is the only time in the book that Jonah's happy. <laughs> You could translate that phrase, Jonah rejoiced with great joy. Now compare that to verse 1. He saw that God showed his mercy to Nineveh and he said it was evil, a great evil. But then God gives him a plant to shade him and he rejoiced with great joy. I think there's an issue with priorities here. Something's wrong with this picture. Here's, here's the irony. Jonah saw the plant as God's gift to, as the verse says, deliver him from his misery. But God intends to use it to deliver him from a sinful attitude about Nineveh who has been delivered from their own destruction. 
God is showing mercy to more than just Nineveh right now. And it isn't simply by protecting Jonah from the sun. Jonah was angry that Nineveh was spared from destruction, but thrilled when he was spared from his own discomfort. God wants to give Jonah a change of attitude, a change of heart. So verse 7 says, But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. And it so damaged the plant that it withered. I may have pointed it out before, but have you noticed that everything that God appoints in this book, everything he appoints, prepares, or sends, obeys, except the prophet. The Lord sent a great wind to cause a storm, and it obeyed. He prepared a fish to swallow Jonah, and it obeyed. He commanded the same fish to vomit Jonah on the dry land, and it obeyed. He appointed a plant to grow, and it obeyed. He prepared a worm to eat the plant, and it obeyed. In verse 8, he'll send another wind, and it obeys. But Jonah, God's own prophet, ran. So now God has sent a worm and the plant is dead. If you're looking for a role model in the book of Jonah, I'd probably go for the worm. Just a simple little creation doing what God made it to do. If I can just be like the worm, I'll be okay. So now God sent a worm, the plant is dead, Jonah's source of comfort is taken away. And in verse 8, when it happened, the sun arose, God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. The plant was gone, the sun came out, the wind blew hot, and it beat, it, it attacked, it smote Jonah's head. And his discomfort led to the same conclusion as before. Then Jonah wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. So God questions Jonah again and asks the same question as before. Look at verse 9. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah, is it so right for you to be so angry about this plant? Now, the first time God asked this question, it almost seems rhetorical, and Jonah didn't give an answer. But now he's lost something personal, something he cared about. He lost his shade plant. This time God says, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah, in the way a pouting child would answer, stomps his foot, throws down his staff, and says, yes, it is right for me to be angry. I'm so angry, I couldn't be any more angry. That's what he said, verse 9. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry, even to death.
Jonah's letting his true colors show now, isn't he? That part of us that we all keep tucked away on the inside, that selfish part that really just loves our own comfort more than anything else, he's letting it show a little. He's showing what he really cares about, and God responds with a statement and a question. A statement and a question. He's got a lesson for Jonah here. Here's the statement, verse 10. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. That's the statement. Jonah, you didn't do anything to get that plant. You didn't put a seed in the ground. You didn't till the dirt. You didn't water it. It withered and died just as quickly as it sprang up. And you have all this pity for it. And then here's the lesson in the form of a question. Verse 11. And should I not pity Nineveh? That great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock. Jonah, you love that plant that you didn't do anything for. Shouldn't I love the 120,000 people in Nineveh that are made in my image who don't even know right from wrong. Isn't that a great story? That's an awkward ending, isn't it? Wait a second, what, what happened? What happened to Jonah? We need an epilogue, a, a post-credit scene. Did he repent? Despite our desire to have some kind of resolution in this story, we acknowledge and we trust that God's word is sufficient. We have everything we need right here in this book. God didn't forget to tell us something. I don't know what happened to Jonah. But I wouldn't be so concerned about how Jonah responded as I am about how I'm going to respond and how you should respond. You see, Jonah is more representative of us than we like to think. We like to think we're better than this, just because we haven't said it out loud. If you might have noticed in the bulletin that I used the title, The Prodigal Prophet. I didn't make that up. I'm not the first person to use that title. You know, it's nothing special. But it is appropriate because of how well Jonah fits the description of the sons in Luke 15. And when I say sons, I do mean both sons. <laughs> you see, like the younger son, he ran away from home. He wasted his opportunity. He found himself in a situation he could not get himself out of. But when, it came back, when he came back to the father, he was shown mercy. He was restored and given back his position as a son. 
Jonah experienced that mercy. But he's like the older son too. God shows mercy to someone else, and when he ought to be celebrating, he gets angry and refuses to go in for the party. Jonah has some misplaced priorities. He was angry that his plant was destroyed, but he didn't care that Nineveh might have been destroyed. Let me ask you a question, and it's an uncomfortable question if you really take the time to consider it. On the list of your life's priorities, the list of things in your life that have your concern, how many things are on that list above your concern that lost sinners should be saved? Is it number 10 on the list? Number 25, 300. Think about all the things that enter your mind in a day. Where does it rank? All the things that disturb you and upset you in a given week, where does it fall on the list? Are we more concerned about our shade plants than about those who need God's mercy? What do our transaction history and schedules say about our priority of leading sinners to God's mercy? The late Dr. S. Lewis Johnson called Jonah 4.11 the Old Testament cousin of John 3.16. Jonah thought that God's love only extended as far as Israel. There's no way God could ever love those pagans who live in Nineveh. But God makes it clear that his love and mercy extends to each and every one of the more than 120,000 people in the city. He had pity on them. Can you imagine how Jonah would have reacted if he had heard Jesus say, For God so loved the world. He would have fainted. <laughs> yeah, well, God so loved the world, how much? That he gave his only begotten son. Yeah, well, what does that have to do with anything? Why did he do that? <laughs> that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Friends, salvation is not ours to distribute to whomever we deem worthy. In fact, grace that someone deserves doesn't even make sense. It's an oxymoron. If you deserve it, it's not grace. If only the worthy received salvation, you certainly wouldn't have it. Neither would I. Salvation is of 
comes from, belongs to the Lord. And he's called us to preach it indiscriminately to the whole world. Remember the hymn, Rescue the Perishing, Care for the Dying, Snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep over the erring one. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Rescue the perishing. Duty demands it. Strength for thy labor the Lord will provide. Back to the narrow way. Patiently win them. Tell the poor wanderer a Savior has died. And then the chorus simply declares, Rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. We have a message that must be preached. And we must preach it to the whole world. Republicans need to hear it. Democrats need to hear it. Muslims need to hear it. Catholics need to hear it. Agnostics and atheists need to hear it. People of every skin color and language need to hear it. Baptists in churches in the South need to hear it. Maybe some of you need to hear it. You see, you, just like me, deserve punishment from God because of our sin. I was a preacher's kid. I went to Christian school. I went to church more faithfully than any of y'all ever dreamed of. Sunday school, we were there. Sunday morning, we were there. Sunday night, we were there. Wednesday night, we were there. Oh, there's a revival this week? Guess what? Every night, we are there. Saturday morning, prayer breakfast, we're there. It didn't matter. We were always there. If the doors were unlocked and the lights were on, we were there. I memorized all my Bible verses in Sunday school. I beat the snot out of every other kid in Bible trivia. <laughs> Nobody could beat me. But I was lost. What Jesus said of the Pharisees, outwardly you're these whitewashed tombs. You look great, you're beautiful, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. That was me. Looked good out here, but lost. Just like I was and just like probably some of you are, there are thousands of people who sit in church on Sunday mornings who look the part, but they will stand at the judgment and hear those words, I never knew you. May God open your eyes to the truth. On the basis of your own righteousness, you will not make it. But a sinless one, a righteous one, one greater than Jonah, 
took your place. Jesus Christ, though without sin, died on the cross and took the punishment that you and I deserved. He died in our place, our substitute. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose from the dead, defeating death. And now, he commands you to repent, to turn away from your sin, turn away from your self-righteousness, turn away from your religious profession, and put your trust, your faith, in him alone. If you do, he will forgive you. And give you eternal life. And once you experience the fullness of his mercy, you'll desire that others should have it also. If God can use a prodigal prophet with a bad attitude to save an entire city, what could he do with a church of people who long to see sinners saved and who faithfully carry the message of Jesus to the whole world? Should I not pity Nineveh? Should I not pity Pilate Mountain? Friends, let's be faithful. Stand and pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is complete, it is sufficient, and it is without error. And you have given Jonah to us as an example. Some things that we should do and some things we should not do. We've learned that you can even use broken, sinful prophets. You can use imperfect Christians like us. We've learned that you're merciful, not just to those who follow your, your rules outwardly, but to the pagans of Nineveh who cared nothing for you, who didn't even know about you. And we know that you'll save sinners today. We thank you for Jesus who died to save us. May we be faithful to preach his message to the ends of the earth indiscriminately. In Jesus' name, amen.